All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to an exciting chapter in the Word of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, this chapter is the rapture chapter. Chapter. The word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible, but where we get the word rapture, caught up together, is in verse 17. So if you're ever looking for the rapture, there it is. But we won't get there tonight. We're not going to get to the hope of the rapture. We're going to get to the holiness of before the rapture. And so we want to start with verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Amen. And we have a whole lot of people that are out. And I thank God for the successful surgery for Brother John and for Brother Gary Brewer. And they're home, I know, watching uh, the, the uh, broadcast. And I hope that several other people are watching it. Because if, if there's not other people watching it, this is the uh, uh, slimmest crowd we've had in the history of Whitfield Baptist Church since I started the church, amen? And But I'm glad you showed up, and I'm going to preach uh, nevertheless, amen? Because I don't preach for a crowd, I preach for Christ. But uh, first, first Thessalonians chapter 3, and I want you to look at verse 12 through 13. And before I do that, let me give you one other announcement. We've changed our couples retreat to the first week of April. We've uh, reserved a farmhouse, uh, bed and breakfast, and it has 12 rooms, and there's three cottages in the wood, wooded area around it. It's just beautiful. And we have uh, a full breakfast, and then at night we'll have uh, homemade desserts that will be made for us. It's going to cost you $100 more than normal. So I want you to save up the next three months, and the first 15 couples go. And then that's it, because we're going to rent the whole thing out, and it's really wonderful. Um, if the Lord don't change our minds, we're going to go check it out next week. Uh, but it's in the a 60 acre farm, and we get the whole thing. And it's four miles from uh, Dollywood. Amen. So it's in the woods of Pigeon Forge. So we'll still get to have our good time if we are able to go in April. I tried to put it off as long as I could. Thought about doing it in uh, December of next year. But anyway, uh, and several people are interested in going, so if you can look at the first two days of April, make sure that's not a big conflict. I'm really excited about finding this place. I've always wanted to have a big, huge cabin and just, just our couples in it. Nobody else. None of the world. Amen? Just the our couples. And have all the meeting rooms and the breakfast room and everything, just us. It's more intimate that way. I, you can have these two or three hundred um, uh, seat uh, couples retreats, they're just impersonal. I don't like them. I like where our church can meet together and get closer to each other and, of course, closer to our mates and closer to God. So I'm really excited about that. So mark that on your calendar. I'll give you more details about it Sunday week. Okay? All right, let's go with verse 12. If you'll stand on the Word of God, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one towards another, and towards all men, even as we do towards you. To the end, he may establish your hearts. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in, here's the key word for tonight, holiness. Holiness before, the Lord, before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Furthermore, see, just because you have a chapter, it doesn't end the thought. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, 
and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. For we know that what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus and for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, another key word, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is avenger of all such as we have forewarned you and testify. For God has not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto, what's the word? Holiness. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God, who hath also given to us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Indeed, we ye do it towards all the brethren which are at all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet. Isn't that great? And to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you walk honestly towards them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. You may be seated as I pray. I want to ask God to help us tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for the wonderful prayer time. And Lord, it amazes me that, um, God, this nation is in such shape as it's in, politically, physically, health-wise. I just pray to God for mercy and for grace and strength. God, for conviction and wisdom. But God, we know the greatest need in our nation is that the Holy Spirit would rule and reign in our lives, that we'd be a holy people, called by your name, set aside by your name, and living and governing by your name. So Lord, I want to ask you to forgive us as a nation, as a people, as a church, personally, God, for our lack of holiness. And so Lord, please deal with our hearts and help us to see if we really believe that Jesus is coming soon. Dear God, we need to live like it. We need to live above this world of corruptness and lust. And God, live a holy life. And so God, give us a desire for holiness. Give us a desire for godliness. Help us to be like you, Lord. And we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice the last two verses of chapter 3. The Bible says, The Lord make you to increase and bound in love one towards another and that towards all men, even as you do towards you, to the end that you may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. I want to tell you something. There ought to be one thing that characterizes our life, and that's godliness in these last days. And I believe with all my heart that if you'll look at each chapter of 1 Thessalonians, you'll see a very big emphasis. Uh, each, Each chapter, the last verse, like in chapter 1, It says, to wait for the Son from heaven when He raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. There's salvation. Now, if you really believe the rapture is taking place and you've got one doubt about your salvation, you need to clear it up. 
You need to make sure that you're saved. You need to be sure that you're really saved. And then I see not only salvation, but I see in the end, the end verses of chapter 2, I see it says rejoicing. Uh, he says, for what is our hope and our joy and our crown of rejoicing are not even ye that are present at the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, for ye are our glory and joy. So there's soul, soul winning. If you really believe the Lord's coming, then you'll win souls. You'll, you'll hand out tracts. Uh, you'll tell people about Jesus. Uh, we gave a poinsettia in the name of Jesus last night, but I found one of those favorite tracks of Miss Easter about the gift of Christmas, tremendous Christmas track. And I said, I want, I want you all to go over this carefully and personally because this is more important than any gift. It's called the gift of salvation. It's the gift of Jesus. We got to explain a little bit about what Christmas is all about. And folks, I want to tell you something. In these last days, and in these dark days of this pandemic, I mean worldwide, uh, they saying that Mexico is just un, uh, unindatedly uh, overcome with this virus, and they're not counting like we do up here or testing. Um, they just do uno dos tres. But uh, you know, we we need to we need to get serious about the Lord's coming, and that means we need to win souls. But then you see in the end of chapter uh, three, it says, "Establish your hearts, unblameable." So here's another admonition. You can just preach the last verse of every chapter in reference to rapture. If you believe the rapture is taking place, you ought to be stable. You ought to be established. That means you ought to have some convictions. You ought to be unblameable in the holiness before God. See, one day the rapture is going to take place, and this is going to be the picture. If you're saved, you're going up. And I want to tell you something. Immediately after that, 1 John chapter 2, 28, and Luke chapter 14, verse 14, says we'll face the judgment seat of Christ and we'll give account of what we did after we got saved till the rapture took place. And folks, that's going to be an awesome time to face the Lord and give account of our entire Christian life. And so there ought to be some stability. We shouldn't be up and down. We shouldn't be in and out. We shouldn't be holy and unholy. We ought to be set aside, sanctified for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that sets the uh, chapter 4, and it ends with comfort. Uh, therefore, comfort one another. If you want to use alliteration, there's, there's solace. Um, there's security. Uh, thank God there is a uh, comfort knowing that the Lord's coming, and He's coming soon. I was talking to somebody last night about the importance of uh, this upcoming election and all that we're going through um, spiritually and morally. And uh, he said, well, I'm not worried about it. Lord's coming soon. I said, I, I know that, but until then, we need to be faithful. And until then, we need to be holy. So let's study chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 for a few moments. The Bible says, furthermore. So it's continuing thought about holiness, being unblameable, being established. And it says this, furthermore, then, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you my by the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so uh, so ye would abound more and more. Now, if the Lord is, if you're convicted that the rapture is going to take place, there ought to be some acceleration of your Christian life. There ought to be a more and more about you. And that means you ought to love God more than you ever have because you're about to see Him. You need to anticipate His soon coming. And I want to tell you something, friend. It, He's coming. Ready or not, He's coming. 
and he'll know all about you. Santa Claus doesn't know about you. Uh, that, that is a myth. Uh, he don't know when you're pouting. He don't know when you're shouting. But God does. And I want to tell you something. His coming is more important than any fictitious uh, character that might try to come down your chimney, even if it's stopped up. I'm telling you, friend, God help us to realize that this is not a myth. This is not just a fairy tale. This is the truth. The Lord is coming soon. Uh, the second coming doctrine should change your life more than any doctrine in the Bible. As sure as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. Can somebody say amen? And so here he is saying furthermore, but then he's saying, I beseech you and I exhort you. I want you to notice, number one, the passion in his instruction. He says, I beseech you. I exhort you. Uh, folks, he's not just teaching. He is preaching. And, you know, I'm, I'm tempted with a crowd this small just to teach. All of us huddle up here on the next couple of three rows or spread out, and I'll just sit down there with a little lectrum, and I'll just lecture you a little bit, and we'll go home. But, folks, this is not time to teach. This is the time to exhort and beseech and to encourage because, folks, he's coming soon. We ought to be passionate about that. We ought to, we ought to really uh, let it be a passion of our life. I want to know what cranks your life, what moves your life. And then the purpose of his instruction or his exhortation or his beseeching is found in the end of that verse. It says you ought to, that you ought to walk and to please God. And so let's put it down. The purpose, the passion is he's coming soon. But the purpose is if he's coming soon, you better please him. Ready or not, here he comes. I used to play that little um, uh, game hide and seek. We'd count to a hundred and everybody go hide. And um, uh, my grandkids still like to do that. And I just like to sit and watch them. Amen. So we need to please God because he's coming and we're going to give account. That's the key. But then I see the preparation in verses one and two. It says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now folks, the Bible commands us to be like him. The Bible commands us not to be like the world. The Bible commands us not to commit adultery. Let me give you a few uh, verses. Uh, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. You'll see the same teaching with passion because this church has gone astray. This church is suing each other. We're in a sue-happy age, aren't we? And uh, this church was taking people to court, and this, this church was committing incest and this church was getting drunk around the Lord's supper table now, how would you like to pastor the uh, uh, church of first Corinthians you know thank God they got straight in second Corinthians but it took a revival but look at verse 7 chapter 7 of second Corinthians verse 1 having therefore there's that word therefore um, these promises now he just gave an exhortation to come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord. Now that's not popular today. Everybody wants to blend in. Everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants to be cool and collected and uh, contemporary. But the Bible says, come out from among them. And then it says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Filthiness of the flesh and spirit, little s, disposition. Perfecting what? Holiness in the fear of God. 
I want to tell you where holiness comes. Holiness comes when you're aware that He's aware. Holiness comes when you know that He knows. Holiness comes in your spirit and in your disposition and your actions when you know that God's got your number. When he, you know how you, he, you know He knows how you act at home. He knows what you watch on the computer. He knows what you watch on TV. He knows what you read. He knows what you listen to on the radio. He knows it. And folks, we ought to fear God and be different than the world. And the world wants to be popular and the world wants to go down the drain together. But he says, be ye separate and come out from among them and cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh. And folks, I want to tell you something. There's some filthy flesh going around today. Amen. It is pathetic what people are preaching uh, by way of their bad example of ungodliness, changing their sex, same-sex marriages, killing babies, and they're and they're and they're putting it in law and order, and people are voting for it. God help the United States of America. We've lost our godliness. But look at this. It says, receive us as you as as we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that we are in our you're in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness and speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without, uh, without were fightings, within uh, were fears. But nevertheless, God, that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He said, I needed the encouragement that you've turned your hearts towards God, that you have repented, that you're no longer the carnal First Corinthians church, that you're getting right with God. And he said, I, I'm telling you, uh, verse, he even said in verse uh, 7, and not by my coming only, but by the consolation therein with comfort of you when he told you your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind towards me, so I rejoice the more. And though I made you sorry with a letter. He said, I made you sorry with a letter. You know what he did? He wrote such a letter, 1 Corinthians, as a rebuke. And any denomination that gets their doctrine from 1 Corinthians is, is out of their mind. Tongue speaking, healing, uh, losing your salvation, Good gracious, he's not the author of confusion. He's the author of, of correction. And folks, the Bible says, I made you sorry, uh, but that ye resorted to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly matter that might receive a damage by us nothing. He said, I wrote you a letter that was pungent, but I'm not apologizing for it. Because verse 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Folks, don't just get sorry because you're not popular. Don't get sorry because you get caught. You have godly sorrow. That means from your heart, you get right with God before His trumpet sound. Uh, you'll never get to the place where you're satisfied with your Christian conduct and spiritual growth until you turn your entire life over to God and start abounding. Let's go back to our text. It says, furthermore, when you were, I beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive of us, you, you ought to walk and please God, 
so ye would abound more and more. He said, hey, I know you've done good, but you need to do better. And I know you're godly, but you need to be more godly. I know that you're trying, but you need to try more, and you need to walk with God. So the precepts of this instruction was, was uh, simply that grace and commandments are not incompatible. Folks, some people say, well, we're not under the law. Uh, we're under grace, so we don't have to keep the commandments. Well, the trouble is, folks, you want to keep the commandments if you're saved. And as far as the truth is concerned, folks, uh, we're, we're, uh, being under the law means that we're not under the curse of the law. That, we're rem that was removed at Calvary. And not under the obligation to keep a ceremonial law which foreshadowed Christ. We don't worship foreshadowing, book of Hebrews, but we worship the Lord Jesus Christ who's the fulfillment of all the uh, ceremonial laws. So no, we're not under the law, but it doesn't mean we're lawless. We need to be saved, sanctified, and that means set aside and holy and obedient to God. And so we see the injunction now he gets right to it of immorality. Uh, must have been a problem in the church. Uh, but we see, first of all, the commandment, uh, the condemnation of it, and that's immorality. Uh, immorality is against the will of God. Look at verse 3. So this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. There it is. Straight out, he begins to call sin, sin. And don't ever criticize a preacher that preaches against sin and name sin. Adultery still a sin. Uh, shacking still a sin. Uh, immorality still a sin. Premarital sex is still a sin. It's sin because the Bible says it's sin. And so first of all, we see immorality is against the will of God. It says the will of God in verse 3. For this is the will of God. Folks, you can't argue with, you can argue with a preacher, you can argue with counselors, but you can't argue with God. You'll lose every time. And then it says, even your sanctification. Immorality is against the word of God. It says, of God. Immorality is against the walk of God. It says that you should abstain from the fornication. Immorality is against uh, uh, the wisdom of God. The body is intended for one reason, and that's to be a vessel of honor to God. It's to be a tool. And so the Bible is the, is the vessel of, of a treasure called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And folks, if the, you're a treasure or a vessel of that treasure, then you need to portray the Holy Spirit. And so don't look at me cross-eyed or don't look at a Baptist that says you ought to be holiness. Baptists ought to be holiness. Uh, everybody that's Christian should be holy. Uh, look at um, uh, a verse, please. In First Peter, I believe it is. It just came to my mind, and I hope it's the right one. Sometimes it, it, it's not the right one. First uh, Peter chapter one, yeah. First Peter chapter one, and look at verse fifteen. One fifteen, the Bible says this: "But as he which hath called you is holy, so ye." It says, "So be ye holy in all matter of conversation." But look at verse sixteen. Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You're going to be like Christ, you've got to be holy. Holiness is a doctrine of sanctification. That means you set aside your life as a vessel for God's glory and to please Him and not your flesh 
and not what you want, but what God wants. And so we see the condemnation of this uh, of this uh, sin of immorality, <clears throat> the injunction against immorality. There's a condem- condemnation, but then there's a cause of it. Look at verse five. Don't you love the Word of God? It shows you why you sin. The Bible says in verse five, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now, what in the world does concupiscent mean? Well, it's uncontrolled lust. It's being irresponsible about your fleshly appetites. If it feels good, do it. I saw a bumper sticker one time with that and almost ran into it. It says, if it feels good, do it. No, we ought to have a bumper sticker on our heart that says, if it's in the Bible, do it. If it pleases God, do it. If it glorifies God, do it. So, folks, if you don't control your passions, they will control you. Um, <clears throat> you need to realize that the lust of concupiscence means that you can't handle it. <clears throat> it's a fire that will be ignited in your soul. That's why pornography is aggressive, addictive, and deadly. You'll never stop with pictures. And you'll never stop at one night watching your computer when nobody's around. It's addictive. It's as addictive as drugs. Drugs will damage you. Drugs will shorten your life. Drugs will cause you to blow up your heart in a moment's notice when you don't even realize you got a heart problem. Uh, it'll, it'll fry your brain. Drugs will d- destroy you. But there's another drug uh, called pornography. And there's another drug called lust and concupiscence, which is a biblical word that means uncontrolled lust, uh, irresponsible. God gives you desire for the opposite sex if you're normal. I'll get in trouble there, praise God. Somebody put that on the news. But I want to tell you something. Uh, if you're right with God, you have, a, uh, you have a passion for your wife or your husband, not somebody else's, amen, and certainly not the same sex. If that statement right there did not turn your stomach a little, you got problems. And I want to tell you something, I ain't got enough people here to preach to a bunch of people, amen, so I'm not trying to run anybody off, but I'm just saying that thank God the Bible tells us there is a desire for the opposite sex, and it's normal, and it's healthy, and it's for uh, procreation and recreation in marriage only, in marriage only. You're blowing it if it's it's out of marriage uh, because it's the wrong, just the wrong time. So the cause of ignorance is is found in verse 5. It says, not in the lust of concupiscence, as the Gentiles which know not God. As the Gentiles that know not God. So we see the, the in the context here, the cause of it, and we see the lust of concupiscence, but we see the ignorance. Gentiles which know not God. Folks, lost people sin. That's what they do. That's their nature. But saved people want to please God. Saved people have the Holy Spirit. I said the Holy Spirit. H-O-L-Y. And we wholly, W-H-O-L-E-Y, want to give our lives, heart, mind, soul to the Lord. So immorality is simply reflecting um, uh, in the culture that we live in. We're in an immoral culture. I mean, folks, it's sad today. 
that it's abnormal to be a virgin. It's sad today that sometimes people try to, uh, especially Hollywood. If you ever, if you notice lately, all the new programs coming out, and 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 the queers show up and lesbians show up out of the blue, and they don't even need to put it in there. Even Hallmark's going to that. God help us. I mean, the world's coming to end when Hallmark gets corrupted. Amen. My wife loves those love stories that have the same theme and same ending and same story. You know, he's leaving town, he's got a job, but he'll come back and give all that up because he loves you. And they kiss and the thing's over. But now, uh, they've got the pressure on them and they're going to have to have some same-sex relationships. God help us. Hallmark's going down the tubes. <laughs> I shouldn't even laugh. Garbage in, garbage out. If you feed on that stuff, and I want to tell you something, the norm is Hollywood. Uh, Joe Arthur will share this at the luncheon, is that 15 minutes from his church is thousands and thousands of people moving in from California. And they're producing movies. But I want to tell you what they're bringing with them, a godless doctrine and godless politics. And they're running Clayton County. And they're ruining Gwinnett County. And they're really ruining Fulton County. And folks, that carried the whole state. I'm not being political. I'm just telling you it's moral. There's a moral problem when Hollywood wants to get out of the high taxes and come and bring their heathen ways with them and pollute our state and run our state and try to turn our state to liberalism, which is ungodliness. It's sad. And he's stirred up about it. He's spending a whole week going to three churches a day, including ours to start it out with. Uh, just say, hey, listen, wake up, Georgia. Wake up, Christians. Wake up, church. We do not need to have a Hollywood morality in Georgia or anywhere because it's not biblical to be immoral. It's not biblical to be ungodly. It's not biblical to be filthy. And folks, that's what they put out in Hollywood. And then they try to advise you on your marriage. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. If somebody's been married five times, is going to counsel our next generation on how they ought to have a marriage, we're in trouble. Amen? I'll tell you where they ought to get the counsel, straight from the Word of God and the man of God and the lady of God that has the Bible to tell them what marriage is all about. That's why we have retreats. That's why I'm convicted that we need to have more uh, on marriage because, folks, the devil's attacking our homes. And he divides and he devours. And how many times have you heard a good couple and one of the jaybirds get unfaithful? And one of them has an affair. It's not an affair. It's a sinful concupiscence. It's lust of the flesh. It's a pride of life. It's the lust of the eyes. And the kids have to pay the price. Visiting last night, couldn't find, Brother Mark couldn't find a daddy. Uh, Chris was the only daddy they had. The little fellow followed him all the way out to the car. See, daddy's nowhere, nowhere around. Have to find mama dead. And then and, and my heart goes out for them, and I want to reach the whole family. And thank God there's a Chris Petty that knocks on their door every Saturday and says, I love your child. And they respect him for that. And they listened to me last night because of Chris's testimony. Not because they don't even know me. And so the bus ministry gets in those homes. The bus ministry softens their heart. But you know something? We don't bring in a compromised message. 
so you can live like you want to. We don't say get saved and just live like the heathen world. Get saved and live like Hollywood. We say get saved and live like Jesus. Get saved and be like Jesus. Folks, I want to tell you something. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. But all things come new. There is a change in your life when you get saved. And if you don't have a change in your life, you're not saved. There's repentance and conviction. There ought to be some holiness. You ought to live different than when you, after you get saved. Amen. I believe in going to the jails, Brother Glenn, and preaching and telling them they can get saved right on the spot. But I want to tell you something. If they get saved right on the spot, when they get out, they're not going to be in the same spot. They're going to be different. They're going to have a different spirit. They're going to have a different want to. They're going to have a different crowd, and they're going to get in a different world called the church. Amen. That's what Brother Larry did. As soon as he got saved, he came to Whitfield Baptist Church because Miss McCarty told him to come. She didn't even recognize, she didn't even recommend her own church up there. It's an independent Baptist. So you go to Whitfield Baptist Church, that's what you need. That was good advice, wasn't it? Amen. I think it's good advice. So Hollywood's immoral. Spend more time in worldly entertainment than you do the Word of God, you're in trouble. And you know, all of us watch TV too much. All of us stay on the computer too much. Amen. And I want to tell you something, if you're not careful, it'll pollute your mind. Live like the world, then you're immoral. Because the world's immoral. It's not amoral, it's immoral. Folks, you ought to vote morality. You ought to pray for morality. You ought to defend morality. And I'm tired of people saying we can't. Because we can. The Bible says we can. And we should. The church ought to run the state. Not the state running the church. Separation of church and state was one way. There'd not be one state religion. But they never, and never, Thomas Jefferson, you can see it in the Danbury uh, Convention, never did it intend for the church to stay out of the state. It was intended that all religions could have a say-so in the state, not keep it out of the state. And then we see not only immorality as a lustful concupiscence and the cause of ignorance, of lost heart, dark heart, but the cheating in it. It says it defrauds the brother. It defrauds the brother. Look at that. Every one of you, verse 4, should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor and that the lust of concupiscence as the Gentiles, uh, which know not God, that no man so... Go, go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Now, folks, what in the world does that mean? That means immorality is dishonest. It steals people's wives. Come on. It has an affair with a married woman or a married man. That's ungodly. I mean, you won't hear that preached much in America. That's unheard of. That is ungodly. Because it's not what God designed for marriage. Is that we were to have ultimate fulfillment in the affair of marriage, in the in the in the pleasures of marriage. And so there's a cheating, it defrauds your wife, it defrauds your husband. And then the chastening of it is found in verse six. The last part it says that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Folks, I want to tell you something. You might think you're getting away with sin, but God knows. God knows. And I'm going to tell you this. 
payday someday. God help us to realize that an immoral nation, God's going to judge. An immoral family, God's going to judge. Hey, friend, I'm going to tell you something. Reminds me that immorality is a sin against God. That's the character of chastening. The cause of chastening is because the believer needs to be chastening. If you're saved, you're going to get chastened if you, if you get out of the will of God. The sin of immorality is severe. Uh, whether you're saved or you're not, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, it'll be a shame upon you, a disgrace that'll never leave. I don't understand that completely, but I believe it means it'll follow you to the grave. Immorality. That's right. And so we see the corruption of it in verse 7. It says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Now, folks, you know, this is supposed to be a, a, a chapter of hope and comfort. And what in the world is verse 1 through 12 about? It's about getting right with God. And you know what? There is no happiness and there is no hope in sin. It's hopeless. You'll never get away with it. You'll never ultimately enjoy it. And folks, there'll be a judgment on it. And folks, it's a sin against God. It's a sin against your mate. And folks, I don't know why Paul was hammering down on this, but I'm just going to preach it, that immorality in the last day is probably a rampant sin. And it is. And before the rapture of the church, there's an ungodliness going on. Iniquity is abounding. Amen? Say it. It's the truth. Um, unnatural affection is abounding. Second Timothy chapter 3. It says, unnatural affection. That means outside of marriage. That means killing babies. That means disowning children. That means not raising your own, not being a good mama, not being a good daddy. That's unnatural affection. And people are offering their kids on the altar of career and even sacrificing them so it won't interrupt what they had planned. So the focus is contempt. Look at verse 8. It says, Who hath given us unto us his Holy Spirit. And folks, he says, He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God. Now, I've done a study on despise in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where that's the reason that David committed adultery. That he despised the commandments of God. The commandments of God was, you're the king, you lead the men out to war. He said, no, I am the king, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And he was in the wrong place with the wrong woman at the wrong time, and he had to be out on the palace when he should have been on the front lines, and the sin of omission caused a terrible sin of commission. And then he tried to cover it up, and he killed the husband. Had him killed. Had him executed. And the Bible goes into 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and says, the reason you've sinned is because you've despised my commandments. And then verse 10 goes on and says, and thus you've despised me. God speaking through Nathan. And so folks, the problem in our life is that we don't reverence God enough and His Word enough to stay right, to stay pure, to stay holy. And so I want to conclude tonight, I'll finish this next week, is that God's given us a Holy Spirit who indwells us. Society tries to rebel against this and call it sickness. Like alcoholism is a sickness. It's not a sickness. It's a sin. 
If it was a sickness, you could take a pill and be cured. Take a shot. Folks, don't ever call sin a sickness. It's sin. And it's a rebellion against God. And you're doing what you want to do and not what God wants you to do. It's total spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Well, he was just born that way. You know, he just has the tendency to be queer. No, he didn't have a tendency to be that. That's a rebellion against God. Parents, teach your children to accept themselves and their creator by accepting how God created them. Say amen. That needs to be preached a little bit on the streets. God made a male a male, and therefore cultivate that. Don't rebel against it and change their whole body to conform to what they want. That's rebellion. That's evil. That's wicked. That's mutilation. I, I wish I had a stronger word for it. Maybe it's lustful concupiscence. It's passion and, and a drive that's totally opposite of what God wants. God wants you to accept yourself. God wants you to accept you as yourself as God's creation. And until you accept yourself, you'll never accept your creator. You'll never be right with God. Some people hate themselves. You, you're, you're shaking your fist at God. Well, I wish I was taller. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was more handsome or more beautiful. Folks, accept yourself as the way God created you and use your vessel for His honor and His glory and stop thinking so much about yourself. Some people are so hung up on their self, they spend more time in front of the mirror than they do the mirror of the Word of God. Amen. I believe it's good for ladies to spend a little time in front of the mirror and put all that makeup on and do that hair right. Amen. We just flip it over and go on. Amen. But you know, it, it shows respect when you come to the house of God and you look like you don't look like you're going to the prize fight or the pig trough or the ball game. Amen. Dress like you want to at a ball game, but this is God's house. You ought to dress up a little bit and put some makeup on. Come on, comb your hair. Take a bath on Saturday night. Thank God I'm preaching now. Praise God. I'm telling you what. I'm letting it rip. No, I'm just saying respect. Respect. We've lost respect for the holy things of God. We don't read our Bible. We don't, we don't come to church. We don't pray because we've lost respect. We're despising God. Here's the root problem of every sin. We have lost the fear of God. Not that he'll strike you dead any minute, but he should probably sometimes, but that he is God. And he knows. And this all this word fear means is reverence. That's why we have different music. That's why we have a different atmosphere here. It's supposed to be a holy sanctuary. Amen? We don't come in here and slop stuff up on the wall and throw popcorn on the floor. This is God's house. This is not a football stadium. There's a big difference. It's not a pep rally either. It's God's house. But I want to tell you something more important. Your body's God's house. And you shouldn't flaunt your body to the world or give your body to the world or give your body to another man or give your body to another woman. You ought to give your body to God. He, you're, you're a, he, you, he said you're a holy temple and you ought to be sanctified. And so society tries to call sin sickness. No, it's rebellion. 
And the Bible says it right here. Here's the, here's the cause, the root cause. I'll close. It says, therefore hath he despised not man, but God, who hath given unto us his Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Now let me close on a positive note since this has been a barnstormer. God's given you the Holy Spirit. So you have the capacity to be sanctified. You have the capacity to be holy. And folks, we ought to be humble. And not so proud of it that we're humble. But I mean, we ought to be humble that God would indwell us. That God would infill us. And that God can control us. And we ought to be so submissive to that that we say, Lord, it's your will. It's your name. It's your spirit. It's your direction. I'm yours. I'm all yours. And that's holiness. Let's pray. Father, use this message. Thank you, dear God, for this very wonderful passage of Scripture that I wrestled over many hours of how to preach it. But God, I see it now that before there's hope and before there's happiness, there's holiness. And God will never be happy and will never be hopeful and will never be ready to face the judgment seat of Christ at the rapture until we try our best and yield our best to Thee and not despise You, but fear You or respect You to live a different life, a holy life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I know it's only a few of us, but I'm going to still give an invitation. Because if only one person gets something out of this message, it'll be worth the trip. Amen. That's what I have to say thousands of times as I preach. It'll be worth the trip if one person gets the message. But you'd say, preacher, the Lord spoke in my heart about holiness. The Lord's spoken in my heart about sanctifying more of my life in these last days. And I want to be ready to face Jesus. And I don't want to despise Him or take Him for granted. I don't want to fill my mind or my, my heart or my life with trash or garbage. I want to fill it with the gospel. And I just want to sanctify more of my life to Jesus. And that's my prayer tonight. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer? God bless you. That's almost everybody. Thank the Lord for your receptiveness, your response, and maybe even your repentance. Because I know I've done a lot of repenting while I've studied this passage. Father, thank you for the wonderful meeting. Because we've met around your word and I believe your Holy Spirit has spoken and I appreciate that and thank you for it. God, change our lives. Help us to be holy. God, we're drawn and prone to wonder. There's stuff that grab us every day trying to drag us down to the world's level, to the lust of concupiscence, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. God, help us to live holy lives for your glory. And we'll praise you and thank you for the privilege in these last days to glorify your precious name because your name is holy. In Jesus' name we pray.